the streams podcast calling men in our monthly session uh shining a light bringing topics up in in violence prevention victim advocacy and just overall trying to drive people to be better human beings uh my two guests that always join us and cross the streams in this label for calling men in jeff matsushita carly roner everyone how are we jeffrey how are you doing sir hey i'm doing well kip thank you sir carly hey so good so glad to be chatting with you both and before we got on tonight, we were already all of, well, Carly and I were kind of complaining. We realized that we had to stop because Jeff is dealing with it worse, being a time zone ahead of us. But daylight savings time is upon us, and I'm feeling my age, but my kids are powering through. Carly dealt with sleepovers, which are always a great idea in theory. It sounds like yours went well with your, with your daughter and friends, but that, it's, always a, it's always, I can't handle the noise level I used to be able to handle. And I think sleepovers are like quadruple that. I don't know how yours went, Carly. Yeah, no, exactly that, and kicking myself of, like, we were talking about that before we got on the podcast about, okay, so we scheduled this for daylight savings time, that's really good, on the weekend following Halloween, Mm -hmm. and I had a kid's sleepover, maybe (laughs) not the best planning, so next time I'm going to do better. But Jeff, I like you balanced us out, because you said you're feeling it, you're ready to roll. I'm good, I'm good, (laughs) but if I had to deal with the sleepover, then that would be a whole other piece. Yes. In the the candy, I, we got to do a quick deep. Do you, you guys? I don't know if you heard Kane and I our last episode right before Halloween. Does your family, your kiddos, have go to candy addictions? Because I got two chocoholics and then just like a gummy bear, all gummy sugar monster between yes. the three of them. So we got like salary cap, first round draft pick trades happening between <laughs> this pack of candy corn, that you know M and M's, etc. What about you all? Yeah, I my kiddo is definitely a gummy like champion. Loves anything like that, but I think it's really extended to anything with sugar at this <laughs> point. Um, so if she can hang on to all of it, it's hanging on to all of it. Jeff, yeah, our our nine year old, we have a two, a nine and a five year old. Our nine year old has started to get their flavor taste. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, the first round draft picks. But if we had to, I had to play uh, like commissioner of the trade organization because <laughs> I was watching. Our oldest tried to manipulate things of, of, you know, for the younger one was just happy. And it was the, the same comment, like, well, gents, you can have, there's five M&Ms in this packet, <laughs> and I'm giving that to you, so give me five of those, uh, my Jolly Ranchers. Yes. Like, oh, it's unbelievable. But in our house, uh, it's it's three to one. I'm the only chocolate peanut butter person in the house. So, Ooh, so uh, that could be a good thing and a bad thing for you. Way. Yeah, all of oh, it gets shuffled fantastic. to you. <laughs> we have uh we do have secret hiding places the older two hide their bags for fear of you know i think they're kind of afraid of their little brother finding it but i know they're afraid of me and my wife finding it so because you know before work they're already gone to school and i'm gonna grab you know a little butterfinger out of this one and the whoppers out of that one so it's probably more to keep it safe from dad but i don't know if they find it like uh, two weeks from now i'm gonna find a bag of halloween candy that is stale but it's perfectly secure no one else has touched it. <laughs> uh, but I love it. Go ahead. 
I was just saying, that's amazing. We have that in our family for pre-Halloween, where we have to hide it so nobody eats all the candy before the trick-or-treaters oh, get there. great so. call. Yes. Great call. Hey, the Halloween topic is a great segue into something, uh, you know, we're always texting and exchanging ideas on topics we can do for the Calling Man In segment. Um, and I, I, I started one with, I sent a text out, I definitely want to share a moment where Kip was the exact opposite of supposedly enlightened and progressing towards being a better version of himself. And the Halloween is a great segue because Kane, my brother on our last episode of Cross the Streams mentioned uh, that his wife Carrie and my, my niece Ava, we, they were all going to be dairy cows. And not, it wasn't even half a second, Jeff. It wasn't half a second from him saying that to me saying, well, you better make sure you're the bull and have horns and a nose ring. And it was immediate. And I pro, I'll give myself this. Half a second after I made the comment on the taping, I said, oh my God, where did that come from? Where, where is the need to make sure my brother's dairy cow family costume is as masculine as possible. We're in wh what? So I texted that out to you guys as my, this is my mea culpa. I, as much as I dive into the research, talk with you all, read, try to teach, try to be open-minded, that came out of me. And I was just like, what is the source of this? And just, it was a great, I think it opens up a lot of things for us to talk about. So Jeff, why don't you start uh, react, reactions and your thoughts when I texted my, my shortcoming in that moment. Reaction was, thank God it's not just me. The piece to it, brother, is it, is it one, you recognize it, right? In half a second, half a day, you, whatever, you came to realization of it. And, and that's the strength of going forward, right? We're never, this isn't an end game. This is not like yeah. the journey of life. We get to the end and we, we celebrate. And we're always going to be on that damn board rolling dice. So yeah. um, it's a growth game. And and also, man, being from Montana, like dairy cows, the first thing that comes to mind is no, not me. I'm going to be the bull, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. So. Carly, have you, have you come across in the Halloween just the process with your family or even friends, family members, like just picking the costumes and how we, you know, we tend to, to get really gender specific on this costume situation. Yeah, I don't know if necessarily within extended family um, and, and friends in that kind of way, but really thinking about, and I think we talk a lot about kiddos, but I think we can see this with um, maybe friends that are trying to choose their costume or they have like younger people in their family. The idea of picking a costume to then wear to school mm. has become kind of a conversation in our house around, um, my kiddo went as superheroes and loved Batman when she was little. That was like, if she was dressing up, that was usually her jam. And mm -hmm. I'm noticing more and more as she's getting older and older into school, this idea of like, well, the, the girls in my class wear X, Y, or Z. And there's kind of starting to be these, uh, these areas where it's I, I might like this but how is that going to fit in with yeah. how the rest of my class is is portraying either gender expression or just how how are people going to react to me if i'm not fitting within that box that they might think mm -hmm. um and so that's usually where we're running up against it now is having those conversations about what makes you a happy and whole person versus what do we tell people they need to be happy and whole. Yes. And Jeff, I think you mentioned it, it was some of the work you've done or and, and, and research. I think it's the man box. Is that is that to Tony Carter's stuff? 
because I know my yeah. my oldest was really concerned with my youngest son. So Lincoln's twelve and Xavier's seven. You know, when Xavier's going through different costume ideas, he's in a superhero phase too, Carly, which is a hundred percent my fault as a comics addict that I am, and we've talked about on here before. But he had mentioned like maybe I'll be Captain Marvel, and Lincoln was like, "No, she's a girl." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, hold, hold, hold up." He could still do that. Oh, he's like, no, no, I meant just because Leo's already going to do that, Dad. You know, because I've kind of talked to him once in a while, and he doesn't want to get into the deep thought conversations with Dad. He just wants to roll on and go outside. But it was that, like, well, you have to be Batgirl or Batman, depending on who you are as you go. Yeah, I think that's big brother looking out for little brother, you know, one, for love, but two, also knowing that even in elementary school or junior high with your older, like, you start testing things out, you're going to get policed. So yeah. right. maybe give him a little bit of that same preparation for, you know, how he's going to fit in and make sure he's okay. Not because he's shaming him, but right. he's looking out for him a little bit. Yeah. That, that can be hazardous walking into the hallways of an elementary school. Or, and then, yeah, the kindergarten through second graders think all they would see is Captain Marvel say, hey, that's a dope costume. Mm-hmm. But that third, fourth, and fifth graders catch a hold of them, and they're going to have different language because yeah. they've been chained too. So, yeah. yeah. Carly, is there discussions in like how do we prep our kiddos or you know other people for those con- confrontation? Might even be a str- too strong of a word, but when they are hit with somebody that is not accepting of their choice or what does make them feel comfortable, are we? Are, do we need to arm them with sayings, with strategies? How have you addressed it? Yeah, I think if somebody has the magic answer to that, I would love to hear it because I think that's an area, it's just a, a person who's it considers themselves an educator, but also a parent of being like, I know the real outcome on that end yeah. might not be the best case scenario, right? Like right. I might say, you know, stand up for yourself, do whatever, all these other ideas about um, how this can be something that helps my kiddo express herself. And I'm not the one who has to live that in that moment in the classroom with my buds, right? And so I think one of the things we try to be really intentional about is why are we choosing to do something? Are we choosing to do something because it makes us the happiest? Like, if you want to, like, with your son, is Captain Marvel going to be the thing that's going to make you super excited for Halloween? Or are you choosing that because somebody else... Mm -hmm. you think it's going to appease somebody else. And so just, I think, coming back to that has been a helpful idea of discerning where those spaces where you're trying to gain favorability with your peers or something that's just truly going to make you happy. And then kind of that conversation about what what do you think that would look like if somebody told you they thought your costume was dumb or that that was meant for a girl? Like, what do you think? And my kiddo usually comes up with really blunt smart (laughs) answers that I did not help prepare her for at all. (laughs) She's usually kind of like, well, yeah, because I liked it. Kind of like just very simple. And her classmates have taken pretty well to that. I don't know if it's her personality, but I think we try to start from that. Who are you doing this for? And then also what is, what are your kind of solutions to figuring out how, if this doesn't go the way that you want it to, or somebody does say something mean, how how might you react to that? Um, And I've, I've just continually been surprised by her ability to come up and react with really compassionate responses but also just very blunt straightforward because i like it Mom. yeah <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well hey they they tell us in coaching hashtag keep it simple stupid 
so yeah. there's probably a lot to be said about that. Uh, Jeff, we you expanded on that a little bit about like Halloween, obviously the the launch of the fall into winter holiday season that all of us I think in in some we can have a whole podcast on the love hate relationship with Thanksgiving through Christmas through New Year's Eve. Um, but you know, preparing for those gatherings, whether it's you know, family, you know, all of us have different setups for those events, you know, office parties for those events. And the, the, the fact that those of us that are, that are trying to, you know, push, push the conversation forward toward better, you know, understandings of different things are going to encounter people saying things off the cuff or people giving us looks when we bring something up, throw in some eggnog or other beverages being drank around the family, you know, counter. And I know how the Ions get down. What, you know, where, where, how do we approach this, these scenarios? What, what are ideas or, you know, things to, that people can take listening to us that might be helpful? And I, you know, I want to use the Saturday Night Live character, Drunk Uncle. Uh, doesn't have to be the uncle all the time. Uh, but when we do encounter people with, that are pushing back or maybe just steadfast, you know, confronting us or, or challenging stuff that we're, we're talking about at these gatherings. Yeah, uh, first and foremost, thank goodness since uh, we've graduated beyond and got a little more financially comfortable, we rent a hotel room now. We really? don't stay out. So that's, that's, that's huge. Somebody told me to, you know, put in-law, not my in-laws, love my in-laws, they listen all the time, loyal listeners, but put extended family as they come. It's okay to get them a B- Airbnb so they can go home at night. And I was like, that's awesome. I should do that to, to a lot of people. Then we can all it's get a break and come back in when we're in, a, we're in our best selves. Because 7 a.m. Yeah. is not my best self. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something we recognize. Like, we... It, for me, I'll, I'll name it for me. Um, you know, my wife is patient, and this is usually Thanksgiving. We go see my family, okay. so we we pack into a car and go to Yakima, Washington, and it's the it's the Japanese side of the family. So there's some always interesting things around. You know, what we're supposed to eat, how we eat it, when we eat. We eat all the damn time. And, uh, but for us to have that exit point was great. Last two years, we've rented a hotel room, and so. Now we can, when things get tight because it's cramped space, yeah, we have yeah. an out. But that outlet to go be reset helps me approach and get re- re-energized. I don't like people. Um, <laughs> and so as this introvert who has an extrovert kind of job, I need to find my time. So yeah. to re-energize myself, to be, you know, just quiet. Um, but in my prep for these family gatherings, it's... You know, there are people I name, you know, in my head I'm prepping already. And what I'm at the core of what I'm trying to do is, is really get at the point of we have more in common than what separates us. Mm-hmm. You know, I have more in common. They still love me. Um, my, my family chose to bring them in. And, and so I try to look at the ways that they show up as fathers for one of my uncles. Like he showed up. Um, he would, he's, I'm going to just start naming some things that I prep for. Uh, conservative. Mm. Uh, Pro gun, um, and, and but not just pro gun. I need them, but pro gun. Keep your damn cold blooded hands uh, off. Of yes, kind of array stuff. And again, I, I I can understand where he's coming from to a point, but I always have to prep myself for his just self righteousness. Uh, and then I have to recognize that well, yo, I'm probably being a little self righteous too. So in this idea of like lending and bring gathering his family. Um, my, my my train of thought is we have more in common. As a father, he has done his best. He cares about his kids. He shows some love to my kids. Um, he welcomes us in. 
and and realize that that at at the, at the core of his keep your your cold dead hands off my gun. He's looking to protect his family because he wants them to be safe. Mm-hmm. And if he wants his family safe, that's a connection somewhere we're similar to. So that's my intent. It doesn't yeah. always work that way because I do get you know, get on blast a little bit or maybe one or two many micro brews go in the belly. Uh-huh. Um, so just still prepping myself to know that we got more in common and and also being trying to be optimistic and hopeful with these conversations that we we get together and they're letting us into their space that deserves some love yeah carly i want, I want to let you weigh in on the same same line of, of question yeah i think that's uh, we fall in line with a lot of similarities i think in things we prep for and that's a really big piece for me around and maybe not just family and holidays but just those extended conversations that are hard mm-hmm. is trying to think about um I love that piece that just staying around. I'm going to approach this person with a little bit of empathy. There's got to be some thing that's driving that that's going to be connected, like that we have in common. And then I think also thinking about where I started, and I know we've talked about that a lot on here. No, none of us are perfect. Yeah. And I think that self righteousness comes through in a way of like. I've got this, like, I am so good, and it's really like, oh, yeah, but I used to say really dumb, problematic things, too, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so thinking about what were those things that were really helpful to me, part of that was just understanding and being able to build connection with people who don't share the same life experience that I do, right, or just don't have the same lens on everything, and so for me, when I'm going into those conversations holidays things like that it's really around like how am I building that connection so people can be able to see that this isn't just my perspective this might be the experience of somebody else um and how how can I start to build upon that connectedness of like we're people uh on on those situations the thing I always find like myself and this could purely be I don't know if it's the coach part or just the competitor in me it's like, no, I'm going to get the last point or I'm going to get the best one-liner in in the middle of these. And, I, and part of it is I don't want to overstate like my family gatherings on either side, my wife or, or mine are very much like an echo chamber. Like people have a very similar thought process around a lot of things politically, um, you know, in this genre, they're aware of the work that, you know, I've been trying to push forward with my guys. So I typically don't hit it with family members, but definitely in say conferences, coaches, meetings in the different departments. If I hear something, I'm like, Oh, I can't let this go. This is my chance. Somebody's got to step forward. And I'm not sure. I don't know. Does that, is that, I, I feel like there's a time and place and I probably haven't figured it out yet. And I'm just trying to get a three pointer in on the scoreboard that really doesn't have a game being played. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if there's opportunity for folks to just think of these situations as, like, we don't have to do everything in the moment. I think there's sometimes, like, you're, I, what I hear you're saying in that is, like, oh, that was problematic, and, like, I want to make sure that either this person or the room or somebody knows that, like, we can't let this go yeah. unchecked. Yes. Like, this behavior is not going to be cool. Um, and so just having that, I think, absolutely. And sometimes, depending on the relationship with that person, there's been so many times where I'm like, I missed that moment. Um for whatever reason, like, I just, I didn't do what I know I could have done, yeah. and so I pulled that person afterwards and was like, hey, like, this is how that sat with me, and it wasn't cool, mm. um, and I think sometimes our venue and the, the way that we do it doesn't have to be consistent, it doesn't have to be the exact same response every time, um, 
and yeah. I think we talked about this a little bit last time, that's fuel to do better next time too. I like, I like that the concept you're saying of the follow back, but and then it's instead of like, no, this would have been a perfect West Wing. If this was on West Wing, she, he would have said this right at the exact time. Well, yeah, because it's written. Kip, yes. Jeff, go ahead, keep, keep keep going on this. Oh yeah, I love Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. I wish he could just write everything and I could like <laughs> pause, delay my responses. Yes, uh, and I, I I'm going down. I agree with Barley 100. Uh, percent The circle back piece is beautiful. And there are times where I'm not brave or, or I'm not feeling energized or I'm just not feeling up to it to jump in. But coming back, it, there's always going to be another time, maybe. Uh, or not maybe. There's going to be another time. Yeah. And and often, I found, too, when I circle back, I'm a lot less triggered. And I'm a little softer. Mm. And part of my go-to has been I'm curious. I, I want to be curious. So tell me more. You know, what, this is what I heard. This is what I was feeling. What, this is what you meant? Or what did you mean? Some form of curiosity in the question that I'm coming back with, because at the time I probably would have been a, just a, a, a rebuttal and like trying to match fire with fire. Um, and to your point, Kip, I love that you said trying to squeeze a three pointer in off the bench the last five seconds yeah. of the game to get in the box score. Um, I've had to keep thinking back. I had a lesson from a, uh, a, a woman told me, "Do you want to be right or do you want to be effective?" Oh. And, yeah, boy, fight fire and fire. That's that's gonna be right, and I still need to go see my family, and and so effective is gonna get me to that place where I can help maintain mm-hmm. a relationship rather than burn the damn thing down. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great one. I want to keep going on this and, and expand our conversation, but we're gonna take a quick break. Talk about the new Cross the Streams podcast gear available on Teespring. Just a second. Quick break in the show to talk about our Cross the Stream podcast t-shirts, now available men's and women's sizes, three different colors, two different designs, available now via teespring.com, T-E-E-S-P-R-I-N-G.com, or simply go to the Google search engine, type in Teespring plus Cross the Stream, and find our search results there, Cross the Stream podcast gear. Now, back to the episode. All right, we're back. Um, on that, when I'm, I'm picturing a, a situation that happened this past weekend with my team on these same lines, in, in the middle of film, and I don't want to bore everybody listening because there's like, Kip, I didn't come on here for basketball coaching advice. Uh, I, I get it, but I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, with this topic. So we have film, and in the monotony of film and showing guys themselves on the screen and different things, I try to play Jeopardy. So we throw in random trivia pictures, random videos, and just it's it could be out of nowhere, and we're, we keep a running score, and if you get up to a thousand, you get a Gatorade and all these different things. That's probably an NCAA violation, uh, but who knows? They'll they'll find me later. But this week the topic was old school music artists that I threw in the middle. So I mean, first of all, I definitely felt my age because the guys had no idea who Dave Matthews was. They don't know Garth Brooks, um, and they have no idea on some of the people that I would have considered hip hop icons, right? So then they ended up Googling, I put DMX up there, and they Googled a lot of DMX songs, and then they got back to me the next day, like, Coach, DMX is so far from character development, and I told them, I said, guys, I know, 22-year-old Kip was the worst, and they kind of looked at me, like, what, what are you talking about? I said, no, 22-year-old Kip said horrible things, didn't really know the world, thought he knew a lot more than he did, and just rolled around kind of stupidly arrogant. And they, and they were dumbfounded by either my admittance of that or that there was a time when this, they know me as, you know, 40-year-old Coach Kip, that I was 22 and said homophobic, terrible things out of my mouth when I didn't like a play call. 
So that was like, you know, because we talked a little bit about, um, you know, going back um, and not holding yourself to this perfect level of, a, you know, of like I have never made a mistake. So that's the only way I can have a voice in this change because I'm perfect. And that's, that's not necessarily doable. So maybe that's applicable to family members or other people you come around and they might slip up at the banquet that doesn't immediately put them on the repulsive human list like I like to do to people. Thoughts. And I'm, I'm quick on that. Trust me. Kelly's been working on that with me for two decades. Like, you don't need to hate everybody because they have a Trump sticker. Well, I, I'm pretty close to doing that. But I need to stop. Go ahead. You guys. Carla, you go ahead. Yeah, I think that's the part that when we were talking earlier about, like, how do I prep and do things? That's what I'm trying to remember. And I had a really great student, um, one of my very first jobs in higher education. Um, and he's now back in the field and he, he works at a college now. And we had a conversation last year around times when he was a student and we would be chatting and, and we had realizations about either problems in our approach to language or problems in how we thought about, um, really specifically things like class and money and how that involved with people in their education and it just got me thinking around god when i was a college student there was no way i made that turnaround that quickly mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and i considered myself a super nice person i think like yes. not to be super yes. like egomaniac but like i thought no, that I, was, I tried really hard i wanted to be like a good friend i wanted to do all these things and i still know that there had to have been points where because I, I didn't have a full frame of how the world was working around me, that I didn't say some things that were super great. And so um, maybe it's not, you know, like yelling homophobic things on the sideline kind of example mm-hmm. where it's that one, but there's still those, those things, like we talked about oppression, there's still those things that we can say that are racist or sexist mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and it took people around me helping me out. And so I think sometimes now that's the role I think about, um, especially in this work is around what's that avenue to get somebody in? Like, what are, what are they really passionate about? That example earlier, of, um, Jeff and your family saying like this, this family members at the end of the day, wanting to protect their family. If I know that about somebody, that's, that's what I want to connect with them around to help them understand, mm-hmm. uh, what others have been so gracious to share with me. Jeff. I appreciate your, your graciousness, Carly. Uh, uh, I aspire to that because I'm still, I'm with Kip. I judge and I don't care more. Real quick. No. Yeah. And I should clarify, I have strong moments of that where that is definitely like a gut reaction of like, how can you not think that this is a problem? And I think that's had to be something I worked on really hard of like, I'm, I'm going to push that back a little bit and just realize that like maybe there's something there but yeah there are definitely those days <laughs> i'm having a lot of that so not perfect still working on it yeah it goes into that that idea like us versus them that other in peace and and i i, I practice this at home when we watch like the news and i see a rally uh, of the the number 45 in front of people and I try to humanize those people and say, wow, they're, they're, they're really scared about something, mm-hmm. right? Like, they're wanting a world where they've got some power or some sense of normalcy or safety. Um, and I know if we had a conversation one-on-one, we could come to that place. The problem is there are thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who are scared and are, are you know, in the political sense, are going, aligning themselves with the power they think is going to win to keep them in the world that they want. Yeah. So as we slow roll that one-on-one conversations isn't going to happen, right? So how do we have those critical mass conversations 
and, and to make big shifts, I believe in, this, in the, the platform of sports. So, Kip, what you're doing at Willamette with your guys and, and it, what has spread, continued throughout the other athletic department, from that platform, sports are having this conversation around healthy relationships, around dating violence. And then in October was Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So the sports program was bumping out something that people paid for their ticket to watch, be entertained, and they also got some heart messages around Domestic Violence Awareness Month and normalizing it. Mm-hmm. Not saying the people who commit that harm are bad or the people who are victimized are throwaways and worthless. It's it's just this normalization piece. And I try to normalize myself that I can I can be forgiven because of my judgments. Um, and, and I try to humanize these people. And thank goodness I did not grow up in the Twitterverse world Whoa, yeah. or digital technology because... You said 22-year-old Kip, at 20, yeah, 19 through probably early 30s, Jeff, was problematic in a lot of ways. So, um, that, be knowing that, that I couldn't put it out the minute I was thinking it, when I was so on blast and wanted to pr- be right in an argument and go to Twitter with my Twitter fingers mm-hmm. to be my weapons, mm-hmm. you know, thank goodness I had pen and pencil and, and like, note pages, so... You know, the ink on those pen, those big pens from the 1980s has disappeared. So, you know. <laughs> on this, on a similar with the sports part of it, and I, and I know we, we've all connected through some of the, you know, some of these sports avenues that have allowed us to, to, to grow our relationships. Jeff, you sent an article to all of us uh, about, and it was a deep dive into the hiring practices of coaches in the NFL. You know, obviously the NFL is the number one, number one sports league in this country, uh, has a huge imprint. You know, I spent most of my day doing my work for our game this week while watching Red Zone. Uh, for seven hours of not moving in front of a laptop and a TV screen. Uh, but it really dove into, you know, the NFL has made a move to clean up its image around its players in domestic violence. But this article really touched on the lack of vetting of its coaches who, uh, you know, they had three examples in here of coaches that would not have passed a standard background test uh, with things they've been accused of doing in their domestic violence, in relationships. Uh, So I thought that that it's a a pretty good segue you just gave us into discussing this article in general, and then kind of some ideas you guys take from it going forward, or just in discussion topics around it, uh, because it was fascinating. You know, it was disappointing in a lot of ways, and it had me thinking, first of all, from my side, I love how the NFL, NBA, MLB, any sports franchise loves to use the, the phrase, it's really easy to type and say and sound super intelligent and thorough, their detailed, their due diligence and their background investigation, like they're the CIA, and then you come to find out it's really just two scouts making a phone call, and that counts as due diligence, uh, and as this article pointed out, they really weren't that good at the Google because Google could have got them a lot of these, you know, these concerning behaviors and, um, you know, criminal uh, stuff happening with these coaches that are employed by them. So, Jeff, I'll let you start since you sent it, and then Carly will, will bring you in on it as well. Yeah, you know, the, the article caught my eye because it, it, it opened up with Dirk Cutter and, and the Cutter family, their Idaho roots. Yeah. Um, and I respect Dirk. And so it was interesting for me to see, and it made me wonder, like, you know, from a head coaching position, like, how much say does he have and who he puts on his staff? And is it that yeah, that phone call? Of, mm-hmm. you, 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 it's, a, it's a small family of who you hire from within. And so, right. you know, Kip, if, if you were, we were 
two coaches looking to build our staffs. I call you because I trust you. Yeah. You give this guy a gold stamp. That's about as far as I'm going to go. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and if nobody above me checks that, nobody else above me Google searches or below, and then nobody below is going to question me and my choice either because I'm the head coach. Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of that, that, that fear of power and disruption mm-hmm. allows us to, to, as men, hire people who look like us and who are within our circle of, of influence, and we say, oh, yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. Well, but what does that mean? Yeah, probably, yeah, yeah, it probably means he's great on a whiteboard. There were men who were hard. Yep. No, I, it, it absolutely means he's great on a whiteboard, drawing X's and O's. And he probably is assumed to be great at yelling at children or grown men with a loud voice, and that equates to success. Uh, that's a cynical version of the job that I have patched my life to, by the way. Uh, but it's very true. Uh, Carly, keep going on this. Yeah, I think that actually connects both of the things that we've been talking about tonight. And Kip, you mentioned this around uh, prepping for some of those conversations. Maybe as you go into family gatherings, it's, it's a lot of maybe... That, that phrase, preaching to the choir, yeah. right? Like folks yeah. who are in your kind of echo chamber, they know what you're about. But I thought that part that you shared around, like they know what you're about. They know what you're working on with the guys on your team. They know, um, you know, just kind of those are values that you hold in high esteem. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really apparent in the work you've done at Willamette too. And that was really apparent during time on campus of two seconds in talking to you about this, you thought deeply about it. And it was really apparent. I think it's part of that value system that then when we're looking for staff, we're looking for coaches, we're looking for whoever it might be within our organizations, not only do they look like us, can they do a good job, can they yell at people well, whatever it might be for part of their job, but also are are they holding to those values that we've decided and what are those? I think to Jeff's point of what kind of values clarification have we done as a staff, as a team, as an organization, mm-hmm. as an athletic department um, to say that this is really what we're about. And sometimes I think we, we fall down on that. We don't do yeah. a great job of communicating to others how how we feel. And it doesn't have to be a, a like mightier than thou kind of we feel this way and if you don't, you're not a good person. But it can be that, like, this is what we're about. And I think that comes through really strongly, like you were talking about with recruitment and mm-hmm. guys on your team. Um, that sticks out. Your guys know who might be a good fit based off values. And I'm curious what that would look like when applied to somebody in a head coach position yeah. and where that comes from. I, I love the, the – I think you, you phrase it value, expectation, or, or something similar like that because I was just – Yesterday, two days ago, I was having to re-up my USA basketball coaching license. And in another great example of Kip is not that awesome moment, I was complaining to my lead assistant, Coach Chris Horton, like, man, this safe sport part of this is going to take me three hours to get through. And guess what? Safe sport is all about the stuff that I teach my guys that you guys have made your life's work. And so what, Kip, if it takes three hours... For you to get through it, that probably says something about some of that expectation in the culture USA Basketball is trying to establish to get a license. Because I don't think that's uniform across all sports. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's, I haven't, I haven't had to do this. I didn't have to take safe sport to be the head coach at Willamette University. Now, to be an employee, right, Carly, there's some specific training and they'll send you an email and you got to click on a link, right? But this, yeah. this is the very first deep dive that probably 
something similar or a model about it should be pretty universal to coach youth, to coach college age, to coach professionals. Uh, and for, and I was complaining about it, you know what I mean? And then a couple days later, like I was like, well, wait a minute, idiot. This is a great thing. Wherever it came from with USA Basketball, it's a great thing that it's in there. I can't get the license. There's no fast forward. you got to pass all the quizzes, every video. It's not, uh, here, giving me the bulleted transcript, all the tricks and trades that everybody uses to get through required trainings, right? You can't do yep. it on this. You have to pass the test. Uh, so I got to give a, a major shout out to USA Basketball on that, but also probably applicable to here to be the head coach of a billion dollar franchise. There probably should be some minimums at the core. Yeah. And I'm curious, Kip, what was that training like? Like what what were the requirements for you to get into that organization when you first started? Right. So to apply for a gold license. So in order to work uh, the the College Basketball West Region Academy this past summer, um, I had to get nominated and, and approved in terms of like, oh, here's Kip the human. I submitted a bunch of stuff about teams of men, obviously my coaching background. But then before they'd hire me, I had to finish. There's three sections, uh, stuff about eligibility for athletes because they're concerned about recruiting, cheating. Um, there's, a, there's a pure coaching methods for the USA license course. And then there's safe sport which is entirely similar to what you and I were working on your last project at Willamette with our athletic director, Rob Passage, the required mandatory sexual, uh, sexual and domestic violence training, education, and prevention. It's all in there. You know, there's grooming yeah. discussions of, you know, there's power dynamics. That's actually a real, they do a great job. Um, That's awesome. And that, I have never had to do that before, to work other places. You know, you might sign a, uh, an expectations form uh, yeah. But to get this and walk around with USA Basketball on my chest for a week in Phoenix, I had to pass this, and so did everybody else. Yeah, no, and that's great, and I think that's that's a demonstration of values change, right? I'm right. sure that when you were first getting into the field and maybe like assistant coaching or getting into head coaching, oh, like yeah. that wasn't a requirement. No way. But somewhere yeah. along, somewhere along the way, the organization was like, "Well, we have to pay attention to this, and we have to clarify what our values are." this is how folks have to be, they have to get on board with this if they're going to be part of our organization. And I think that trickles down for coaching, right? Mm -hmm. Like if we're talking about how we implement head coaches, yeah. what do those organizations need to do to start to clarify some of those values? Yes. And I've actually seen, and Jeff, you can take up after me on this, I've been in quite a few hiring committees at Willamette for different positions on campus, whether it's from coaching through administration to all kinds of things. And I'll tell you, a question that trips up 95% of humans, even in the athletic field, is anything around inclusion or diversity. I mean, the horrible, like cringeworthy inducing answers I've heard in those from people that up to that question had seemed really dialed into that position. And then any of these topics, you know, a hypothetical scenario around a sexual assault case, a hypothetical around, uh, you know, a racial component or issue on campus or on a team. And the, I mean, it's, it's a flunk. It's a huge F. And it, it, that was really eye-opening for me in there because I was like, man, I probably would have butchered that too in 2009 um, when I got the job or in, you know, 2002 when I got hired at McKay in the handshake because I knew the principal. You know what I mean? Like. So the, 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 maybe there is some on the positive side, some of that cultural expectation and, and the social norming is taking place with the inclusion of these questions. Because I've had a lot of people on the committee say, well, what was that even in there for? 
what does that have to do with you know this sport? And I'm like, everything. It has to do with everything. <laughs> but Jeff, go ahead. Oh, I'm glad to hear that one about the safe sports is USA Basketball, but but also that piece of uh, those questions being asked. I mean, it, the representation matters. And uh, for the diversity piece, I can think back to responses I've heard as of recently of two months ago at a, at a statewide conference. Ooh. And people in positions of power and authority saying, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? I don't see color. Oh, we that one. Color That's, oh, yes. You know, and uh, granted, that made for a great t-shirt in the 90s yep. uh, of Love is Colorblind, but however, in 2020 and 19 now, you got to see that because mm-hmm. you're not seeing a person yep. and you're lying. Yes. But you got a brain, you're biased. So let's just all admit that. And then, and so those follow-up questions and those interviews are beautiful. And then the safe sport piece with USA Basketball, I think, as Carly was talking about with a value shift, how beautiful is it these large organizations are doing primary prevention work? Mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. to me, is before the reaction. And, and that's where I think the NFL still has that mark on itself. Of The only reason they shifted is because the video of Ray Rice knocking out Janae in the elevator came out. Yes. Before the video came out, none of that would have occurred. Right. So, you know, the NFL still reeling and trying to do what they can, but the NBA, MLB, you know, in Major League Soccer is an organization we've been involved with. So they're doing what they can as far as primary prevention to some degree. Exactly. Can it get better? 100%. Yes, yeah. it can. Um, but as the norms in our communities and the society is shifting towards recognizing how important diversity inclusion is to, to the environment for everybody to be better and also we're starting to see that these kind of locker rooms start winning games mm-hmm. so all this stuff is playing into primary prevention and recognizing these, these student athletes or, or players are human beings first and foremost so yeah. if we could start dialing it back into like how we build relationships in the locker rooms um, in our front offices and the coaching staffs that's all models for us to walk out into our communities and realize how important it is. goes back to our last conversation of, of not cancel culture, but how do we bring people in? Because we're better with everybody on board. And, and that's, I love the, the shift in the cultural conversations. Uh, qu- question for, for both of you, and maybe more of a, Micah, just a bewilderment from me. What is it? Is it because of the the makeup of the the people in power? Could let's take the NFL for example, or even I've I've had discussions with friends of mine that are educators across the country, smaller districts especially, where maybe there's you know one person, Carly, similar to what you, Andrea, Willamette, wearing seventy two hats that are basically the catch all, put out the fire, Carly. We're going to move about our day job, so they don't have the the stories I've heard about basically sweeping under the rug incidents. Title IX incidents, uh, different things that are just like appalling to me that are still happening at maybe a, not enough resources area, but also in the NFL, like the sheer, like, are you, are people so ignorant to like you, this is a billion dollar gamble you're making that people don't give a damn about domestic violence? Like you're going to lose a sponsor. Or do you, did you not wake up in 2019 and know this, this don't work anymore? Like, is it just because it's, and I'm going to be stereotypical here, it's old white men in the room? that just aren't putting two and two together, that this isn't already, like, we got to do something about how we hire people. We can still hire Bill Belichick, but we got to make sure he jumps through these three hoops just to save our own ass. And this is purely thinking financially, not even like, hey, as a human being, this is what be, this is what you should believe in. 
Yeah. Well, and I think there's there's that authenticity piece to it, right? If yeah. we're going to expect, uh, let's let's take players and say, like, we're going to put them through background checks. We're going to expect they go to all these trainings. We're going to expect that they listen to folks like Jeff or me or other mm-hmm. folks mm-hmm. that are doing this work. Um, but they know maybe from a very simple Google search that the person in the front of the room who's requiring yeah. them to be there isn't walking that walk. How does that flush out then when they're being asked to do other things on the field, on the court? And so I think that's a piece of not only the financial component of, you know, today's day and age, maybe that's not going to be a great, uh, you know, play for your sponsors. They're Mm going to think that domestic violence, interpersonal violence, whatever the issue might be is worth it to pull their sponsorship to you. But I think even if you're thinking, like Jeff said, those teams that have really good character development like your men the folks who are thinking about their players as people and being able to build off of that i think we also have to do some recognition recognition that we have to be authentic in all parts of that organization so Mm -hmm. that's saying if you have a values system for one part for the players you have to be able to back that up with your coaches yeah jeff i i I think of a coaching staff and and how, gosh, who was the, that remind me, y'all, with the, the NFL coaching staff. Uh, no, no, guys, excuse me. It was at Ohio State. It was Urban Meyer. Yes. Urban Meyer's wide receivers coach. Yes. Yeah. And he, the guy, you know, so you see the connection after everything's, the death settles. Urban Meyer wasn't being loyal to this coach who was you know, rung up and alleged mm-hmm. multiple abuses to his female partner. It was he was being uh, honorable and connected to this young man's grandfather. Yeah. Because Urban had a he came up under this guy's tutelage, right? That yeah. family tree of coaching piece. So it, it was more of a play of keeping the kid on his staff just to appease this relationship. It wasn't about necessarily kid because uh, I'll just name it X's and O's. There's a lot of guys who know X's and O's. Right. It just happened to be who his family was that had him on board potentially at first yeah and then he kept him on to sweep things under the rug because he didn't want to look the, the older man to look bashful ashamed or something right yeah. so amazes me how much we we as men uh, maybe human beings but i'll speak for me as a man i have sacrificed and and swept things under the rug based on relationships and wanted to keep the peace um back before i was really you know before we had kids um, I probably tolerated a lot of behavior from some men that would come around our house that now, no way in hell. Mm-hmm. But before, because I didn't feel that there was a big of a risk because we'd have kids around, that I would let some of that behavior, guys who drank too much and, and were driving drunk, for instance, yeah. I was less ta- I was more accepting of having them around um, because, one, I didn't, I didn't see a huge issue because I wasn't necessarily going to be harmed. But now that I know if I bring some of those men into our home and our kids see men who drink to that level of intoxication and then try to drive, that's harmful to our kids. Mm-hmm. Make that connection to an NFL team. Then you, I mean, if we bring somebody into the family, this cancer is going to grow and spread. So we could do all we want as far as pro-social behavior, character development, value statements. But if we got a coach who is doing harm, uh, it's going to leak out and and we could have done all we wanted to on the front end, but if we don't do our due diligence, that that one coach's choices are really going to blow this whole thing up. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's such such a great. I appreciate you sharing that article, Jeff, because it's such a. It, I'm sure it'll get from not just our podcast, but it'll be easy. For, it's always easy to lead into some of these conversations and sneak it up on people. Maybe I shouldn't. Like, hey, did you see that article on the NFL? And they're obviously like, yeah, what? It was about domestic violence and coaching practice. It and then, but I got them, and they got to listen to me for a little bit. Hey, I wanted to give you guys before we wrap up. Give me exciting stuff. People should. You got to brag about yourself a little bit. I know neither one of you like to do that, and that's a great quality. Uh, but I want to be able to highlight some exciting things that you guys are doing in the field now with your job, where you've been, where you've been, projects, people you're working with. Uh, I wanted to make sure I didn't. A lot of people said, "Hey, I want to hear more about what Carly and Jeff." are doing in the field real time because we get a lot of chance to brag about my silly stuff that I'm doing but I want to make sure we highlight you guys and what's going on your day to day Carly you get to go first <laughs> thanks and I'm going to say I'm going to feel like a broken record every episode of like you are, your stuff isn't silly it's just you're working in the lane that you're in Jeff right. and I are just in different lanes right and so I think one of the things that's most exciting for me right now and this is a project maybe it's a, not like the most brand new thing but the thing that especially recently our office has been tapped into is we have a collective of folks across the state that uh, and you're, you all are Willamette's a part of this which is kind of why it made me think of it that we have folks who are building these really incredible programs and um, our state for the first time a couple of years ago uh, decided that looking at these issues on college campuses was going to be a priority for state funding for working um, intentionally with survivors across Oregon and so we've got Willamette and seven or eight other schools that are now building advocacy programs to help one work with folks where they're at how have you been harmed you're a college student how can we get you the resources that you need but then also to start thinking about some of these partnerships like you've been talking about a little bit more deeply mm -hmm. and to be able to start working with folks who historically haven't been served by our traditional services um for victim services to be able to get them connected to the things they need to be able to be good students which is what they came there for mm -hmm. um and so that's one of the things i think I'm just super proud of that cohort of folks, um, and their their work has been incredible. And we're coming up on kind of the last year of it, and we're finally getting to see what impacts that's mm -hmm. having across the state. And they've just it's been phenomenal work that they're all doing. That's awesome, Jeff. Uh, sorry, selfish, Carly. Is that something that we can be available through the website uh, once those findings come out? Yeah, I mean, if if I can pass it along, I'd love to. Let's check in about it, uh, maybe not next episode, but yeah. On the site, I'll definitely um, connect with you about it. And I want to just be fully transparent. I always learn so much, and the great things that Oregon does. So, as a, representing two different states, you know, I appreciate you putting that out and to be willing to share. Because um, that's how we grow this work. So, thank you. Yeah, always. Uh, you know, at the coalition in Idaho, we we got a grant, and we finally got through all the budgeting noise, and we actually can get down into the dirt, and start doing this work. Um, one of our strategies is going into barbershops uh, with the idea that we know men go to barbershops and they pay the same barber to make them look fresh. Uh, and with that same uh, connection of going back, they'll probably believe whatever comes out of the barber's mouth. Mm -hmm. So there was a, an, a, we built this off of the Black Barbershops of America Association and a project around black men and diabetes. So the basic gist was uh, they, they offered up free haircuts and allowed men to come in and get their free cut and a blood glucose test. Oh, wow. So, 
you know, that was their cook. And so for us, of going in to have these conversations, uh, we're looking at engaging these younger men around have a healthy manhood, masculinity, and, and things that they're going to hear in their chairs from their clients, you know, about ways they talk about their female partners, uh, some of the pressures they may be feeling around dating, um, and how to show up as men, you know, some of that bravado that goes on in shops. It, to me, it's similar to a locker room where there's kind of that safe space in the idea that men will probably be a little more braggadocious mm-hmm. and oversharing and making up some shit. Yep. So this is an opportunity for us to engage these barbers around, you know, red flags on the things that they may hear, but also to get them to be a little more empowered that they're professionals, you know, and so people are coming to see them and as professionals, not only do their services matter, but also the words coming out of their mouth matters. And so if they can empower people and help promote these healthy relationships and healthy manhood, uh, that's going to be just an avenue. So we were at, a, at the Boise Barber College last week doing our first training, and it was it was amazing. These, these folks were coming in, and they're, they're learning their skills uh, the professional side, but they're also mandated to do some community building stuff. So it, it just is a great fit. I'm really excited to, um, yeah. to go into barbershops and get paid to go sit and kick back in a barbershop <laughs> and, and have combos. So Are you going to get a cut too when you go? I mean, how many how many times can you get a cut in a week? With this gray hair, Kip, boy, I need a quick fade every three, four days. So I, I put in an emergency ass to uh, at Cosmo Deja Vu. A shout out to Michelle at Cosmo because we play a D1 game Tuesday, and we don't get to do that very often. And I can't go in there looking like I look right now. I said, you got to get me in at 1 o'clock Tuesday, Michelle. I could potentially be on closed circuit television. I'm going to have to look better than this. <laughs> all, all those little hairs in the back of the neck and over the ears, boy, keep it clean. Right. Hey, you two are the best. Appreciate you. Uh, we're taping this Sunday. We'll get it edited and ready and produced up and ready to launch toward the end of this week. Cross the streams, calling men in. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Content reminder, the opinions expressed on the Cross the Streams podcast are those of the host and the guests alone and do not reflect the opinions of the institutions, universities, or businesses that employ the hosts or the guests.